It's Toronto's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hi, this is Leslie Dunlau with Canada's Podcast, the nation's number one entrepreneurial network. Today, I'm speaking with Janice Liu. Janice is the founder of Street, a technology startup that connects users with last-minute discounted premium spa and salon appointments in the city of Toronto, where Janice calls home. By day, Janice leads a consulting and engineering team at the consultancy firm Magnet. Magnet has a mission to engineer the future of marketing. Welcome, Janice. We're so happy to have you on the show. Thank you, Leslie. Um, so Janice, why don't you start with uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Sure. So I am uh, a leader of a consultancy firm called Magnet, which does data and cloud engineering work for a lot of our clients in Canada. Um, it happens to be a venture that's within a holding company, so one of Canada's largest independent holding companies called Vision 7. And we created Magnet earlier this year because of two main things. One was that we sat on a lot of data coming from our media activation through our media agencies, Cassette and Jungle Media. So it gave us a lot of opportunity to essentially play with large amounts of data and get engineering expertise working in that type of big data realm. And then the second piece was because we saw an opportunity to really help bridge the gap between a chief technology or chief information officer and a chief marketing officer, partially because as you look at technology and the way things are moving and how quickly things are moving, um, it's actually moving obviously much faster in the cloud and particularly in advertising and marketing technology where a lot of the money goes to. And so we saw an opportunity to try to help bridge the two worlds together um, and help our clients navigate and be able to understand the future of their organization and marketing efforts. Um, and then by night, or by the side, um, I also have a startup called Retreat, which I started two and a half years ago with a co-founding team that allow us to be able to create um, a platform that essentially, what you said, bridges the customer to an access or an aggregation point of a bunch of the best spas and spawns in the market or in the city often at a discount or price and for last minute, essentially appointments. Um, and then aside uh, from these two pieces, I actually also am a co-founder of a women's empowerment conference called Filling the Gap that we do twice a year. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really fun. It's about bringing together usually a quite intimate group of no more than 100 women. We have topics that we focus on and we, we curate essentially keynote speakers and workshop leads. So it's a, it's a night where you're getting inspired, but then you're getting a lot of tactical information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. And we raise money for that actually to donate to the Barbara Schleifer Commemorative Clinic, which is, uh, I don't know if you know of them, they use legal aid and translation services to help fight women who've experienced domestic abuse. Uh, they're the one of, they're a one of a kind in Canada um, and they're very, they're growing quite a bit. And so they need all those support and funding they can get. So Janice, what made you decide to become an entrepreneur? Um, so I would say I didn't consciously decide to become an entrepreneur. I would say that, you know, when I first started my first venture all over 10 years ago, one of the things I wanted to do was really learn more about the business side of things. But at the same time, I didn't go to school for business. So I had the option of either going and getting a postgraduate or an MBA of some sort. Um, this was just after the 2008 economic downfall. So globally, it was as you can probably imagine, quite difficult to get a job. Um, so one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to practice combining something I was really passionate about, which was 
everything related to digital and fashion and design, um, and then combine that with essentially this business side of things. So I started a, an e-commerce platform back before Shopify and the CMSs of today's world was around. Um, and I spent all of my savings essentially just to be able to build that. Um, and I did it for four years and I got a lot out of it because I was also working full time, but at the same time, waking up at six, working till nine, going to work, finishing work, working in the evenings. Um, and so, I mean, it taught me a lot of things. One of the things was really how the nuts and bolts of a business could work. Everything from legal to finance to accounting. It taught me a lot about things that I shouldn't do, of course, which was um, don't do absolutely everything because you can't possibly be good at everything, which I've now applied to retreat and the, and the businesses that I touch today. Um, and it also taught me that your hustle um, and your perseverance can really be um, the motivation behind what you do and give you a lot in return. So all in all, it was really amazing as an experience. Um, I think what people don't talk about a lot is that when a business fails or when you close the chapter of something, what that means. And I think, you know, especially as women, we, we experience a lot of guilt in our daily lives that we choose to feel. So after I had closed Shopaloo, um, there was about, I would say, a few years where I had to reconcile guilt um, like feelings and negative feelings just around failing a business essentially. But, um, in hindsight, obviously it doesn't seem like that because I sold all of my inventory to another retailer. I didn't lose any money. I ended up with all of these new skill sets that really helped me propel my career. Um, when it came to the type of work I would do for some of my clients from a consulting side and a servicing side because I now knew what it really felt like to spend $5 on advertising or $5 on equipment. And it was either, do I get a coffee or have lunch today or am I spending this money? And so that type of brevity with that knowledge of this money has a meaningful impact really helps the way that I think I can connect with my partners that where I work with on retreat as well as with clients, enterprise level clients that I even service today on the magnet side. So a I have taken a lot away from it, but I think it took a while for me to really get to a point where I was ready to, again to start a new venture. Um, and now I think, you know, your concept of failure becomes completely different. And I think that's really, really important because it gives, it gives me reassurance that, you know, that understanding that life is just really a journey, right? But everything you do in it, whether it's good or bad is all relative to what you want to look at it. Um, and so I think, you know, your question about how I got into entrepreneurship, it was an unconscious decision, but now having done it so many times, it is now a conscious decision in the way that I choose to live my life or propel my career. So, um, I'm always starting new projects. Like I consult on a bunch of other smaller startups. I help a lot of women who are trying to get into building a business. Um, you know, I do a lot of panels and speaking just around how, we talk so much about failure is not a risk, but it really is a risk. Like we get really scared about it, right? So how do you kind of overcome things like that and break things down in a way that's super digestible um, so that you can take that one step at a time? So those are just a bunch of things that I would say really help me understand um, and grow as a person, as an individual, but also obviously as an entrepreneur. So, um, you know, some people like you, what you just said earlier today, right? You sound really busy. You sound like you're on the go. 
But for me, um, these are all things that I'm really passionate about. And this is just how I experience the world. And this is just how I experience um, my job, my life, my personal, my professional lives, right? I think if you're passionate about it, you can do you can do it all hours of the day, really. Well, you need some to sleep sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> um, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit, but I just want to know about your experience doing business in Toronto. What, what do you think are the benefits? That's a great question. So Toronto is great from a, a startup and a technology perspective. Uh, because of the fact that it's quite a diverse market, right? You have different people from all walks of life. It also is a really, really difficult market to get technology off the ground. Part of that is because as much as we are open to new ideas, Toronto is very, I would say, um, the type of users here are, are more adverse to new things from a technology perspective. So in the tech community, we always say like, it's a great, market to be able to test your idea in because if it can work here, it probably will work in New York. And if it can work here, it'll probably work in London, right? And yes, the size and the and the market forces itself is really interesting. Um, the other part of doing business in Toronto, I think that has been um, a really big learning is that because there are so many different types of people, it's not a homogenous population. So the way you go to market is really interesting. Someone can go to market focusing on one specific community and create community and then create essentially a market share there and build outwards. You can go at it from a perspective of um, income bracket in which you try to reach a certain type of segment that you want to be able to sell your product to. You just can slice it in so many different ways that it's almost like the perfect city to experiment in. Because it's so multicultural and so, and so big. Yeah. Yeah. So multicultural. That's really interesting. Age, yeah, everything, right? And the spread, because now there's the, um, what do you call it, bubbles across the across the entire GTA. So it's just it's just really interesting. So someone can approach the problem completely differently. Um, be a completely different demographic and and pool of people, uh, and have different results, right? So I think that's what makes it really interesting of a market. Some of our best ideas come when we're least expecting them. What helps you recharge and get it inspired? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think to your point, like, yes, your best ideas usually come when you're not expecting it. I love to be, I love working on something and then putting everything into it. And then honestly, just throwing it aside because when you forget about it, something else will come. I think the other part of it, which is really meaningful for me, is I need almost an hour a day where I'm doing something that is not related to work. And whether it's I'm going for a run or I'm getting yelled at at a workout or <laughs> a glass of wine with some of my best friends. Like I just need something where my mind isn't on my job or what I have to do because that's actually when I feel like that's when your brain is taking a recharge, but maybe you're, you're empowering like your body or you're empowering your soul. So then you're, you're kind of working another one of your bodies while the other one gets to rest. Yeah. That's a really good point. Like you're doing your, you're doing your arm workout while your legs are resting. And then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, cause you think about it. Humans are, humans are made up of body, mind and soul, right? You can't work all three always at the same time. So if you overwork your mind, uh, the other two things get neglected. So you kind of need balance and it's a great way to recharge. So you go to like exercise and then just chilling out with your friends to, to recharge. Yeah. And I, you know, this year, one of the things I've started doing more is meditating. 
I've been doing yoga. I'm from Vancouver. Naturally, I've been doing yoga for over 10 years. Me too. <laughs> Have you? Great. That's a great mental, mental health um, exercise, of course. And then I would say writing. Writing has been something I started doing this year, which has been really important. And then I think when you do, the funny thing is, I think, you know, when you do more things and you spread your attention more, sometimes you exercise two things, right? Like you exercise being able to get focused really quickly because you need to go from one task to another and they can be completely different things. You're talking to a lawyer one moment and then you're, I don't know, in Google Analytics trying to make sense of the insights from your website, right? So shifting is a really important thing, I think, for, for your mental awareness. The other piece I think that's really interesting is that when you only have so much time and you only have so much you can do, your capacity to focus needs to be really, really strong. So being able to just, you know, put all the other stuff aside and really honing in on what you need to do in that moment is really important. A lot of people, a lot of leaders, executives in the world talk about ruthless prioritization. It's a very similar concept, right? You just need to be able to shift gears really, really quickly. It's not multitasking. We all know that multitasking is a, has a negative connotation, but it's more just being able to shift really quickly. And I think that's really important for people. Um, so what are you most excited about for your business these days? What is um, your plan for the future in the next couple of years? So I'm really excited about my business in a few ways. I would say one is that, um, you know, you don't hear a lot of founders talk about it, but it's all an experiment. Like I love seeing whether or not the hypothesis is going to get actualized or not. So I, that's one component that I'm really excited about just in general. The other piece is we know, for example, that we've already done enough in the market to be able to lock out competitors, which is really important for me. Um, many have tried to do this idea, and we're not saying that we've perfected it by no means, but we're trying at we're we're looking at the problem from a, a slightly different angle, which allows us to be able to really test again. Like what I said earlier about Toronto is, you know, we we look at it from the perspective of attacking a more higher. Um, higher income, more, more brand aware type of problem statement. So we go after the top, we use their brand equity to create a halo. So I have partners like the Shangri-La and um, Dean Del Monte down in the path and, you know, Her Majesty's Pleasure, all brands that people would know of. And then you create a halo around that to be able to essentially say, well, we're creating a brand that is of the same equity of yours. Therefore, you will be joining, of course. And we know that, you know, one of the things that we're going to be looking to solve is how do you essentially try to get and capture market share of users who are still used to a certain type of user behavior, going down the street and getting your nails done from, you know, the little shop on the corner that essentially doesn't even have uh, a digital booking system. How do we talk to and get people who are essentially used to calling and walking into the spas and salons, even though they they think it's tedious. So there's all these almost like mini problems that we're trying to understand and better get um, insight into. And the other piece is when we started this, you know, the idea makes sense, at least logically. Um, we think we did a lot of research and a lot of um, uh, surveys with users and understanding what the consumer mindset was. But one of the things we've also um, have been challenged with is that the market is really different. The market shifts quite a bit in regards to what people are expecting. And not everyone wants to essentially book everything online. Not everything. Not everyone wants to do the certain things you're expecting. So we're we're really interested to see how, you know, 
when you look at technology companies, when, it, when there's particularly a two-sided marketplace, how do you conquer the B2C versus the B2B side? And how do you essentially make the two sides work so that you can create that, that cycle or that, that symbiotic relationship, which is actually really difficult to do. Um, so I have a lot more <laughs> respect for the Ubers and the Lyfts of the world, of course, but, <laughs> but it's, it's also just, um, it's also just an interesting one, right? Because, you know, you need a ride and you need a car frequently because of transportation needs. Um, but some women, particularly the, the ones we have as customers, will need a, will need their hair done every other day. We'll need certain things done to be able to make themselves feel really strong and confident. So we're just kind of understanding what that looks like as we kind of build into the next few years, but there's a lot of things on the go. So those are a few things that we're doing and planning on doing. And then you never know, like we might completely shift our model in the next two years and go into a, a more software space. We might shift and become a content player we might shift and go into the cannabis industry. You never know what's going to take off because now everyone's putting CBD oil on their face. <laughs> right. That's right. Well, they're putting it everywhere. <laughs> they're putting it everywhere. Great. Um, so I think, I think one of the really exciting things is being able to be open to the fact that a business will always shift and grow and how do you pivot? So I'm just yeah. excited about that in general. Uh, but those are probably a few things I would say we're looking forward to. It's exciting. So are you guys planning on expanding past Toronto or are you going to build it out here within the next couple of years and then possibly go national? Yeah, I think um, one of the things we will look to do is whether or not we feel like we're at a sustainable rate within a market like Toronto before we go somewhere else. When it comes to expansion, you know, we've looked at obviously not just within Canada, but also within North America we know that the model has viability in different markets. So there's a very similar business to ours in Europe. There's a very similar business to ours in Dubai. There's one that's quite similar even in Mexico, right? And obviously sheer population size has a, has a role to play. So um, we're just still trying to figure out the mechanics of how to get it scalable that way. But I think from what we've gathered, which has been really promising, is that we try our best to make it obviously easy for the partners from the business side. And then a lot of our consumers who actually use the platform, the feedback has been really positive. So all of that goes into the way that we scale and develop. But um, so that, those things have been essentially reinforcing, at least motivating. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. So now we're going to shift gears again. This time it's going to be rapid fire questions. So that's what we call it. We do them in all of our interviews. So basically just, I'm going to ask you a question. Don't think too hard about it and just answer what comes to your minds. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot the first question. So if you weren't doing what you do now damn for work, what would you be doing instead? I would be, I think, building something in the world, just whatever. On the internet? <laughs> yeah, I think I, yeah, I really like, I, well, I, I obviously grew up and, and love working with things that are on the internet and digitally because that's, I'm a digital native, as you like to call it, but I think it's, it's just more scalable. It requires less um, investment from the get-go. And I think it's just, you can come up with so many ideas that you can connect with the world with from just a computer, right? What book are you currently reading and what would you recommend to our audience? Uh, so I'm reading two books right now. <laughs> uh, I'm terrible with remembering authors, but the first book I'm reading is a book called Circe. It's a it's fiction. It's, a, it's about uh, Circe, the goddess. And it's just, it's, it's to do with from a, it's to, to be told from an angle from that female's perspective back in Greek ancient times. 
And then I usually read multiple books at the same time. So the other book that I'm reading is a lot more metaphysical. It's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And it's really just about being present and being, you know, of the understanding that time is a human construct. You can't live in past moments of now. You can't live in future moments of now. Therefore, you can only live in this moment right here. Um, so, you know, when people experience a lot of nostalgia or depression or uh, looking backwards or hoping to go back. And you know how you, you hear people saying, I peaked in high school. Like that's usually because you're still living in past moments. And then when you are um, thinking too much into the future and you have a lot of anxiety and you can't stop planning, I think you're often living in the future. So it's really just about teaching you how to be more present and understanding that things that we create and we live in are um, really up to you. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'll, um, I think I'll add that one to my, my book. Yeah, you said. <laughs> um, are you a morning or a night person? I'm definitely a morning person. I have to add to that, but what time do you wake up in the morning? Uh, I usually wake up between 5 and 6.30. And then I usually do a little bit of either writing or meditating. And then I, I work out in the morning and I get a bunch of emails out. And then the day starts by 8 o'clock. So. Nice. You just answered one of my other questions. So. Oh, okay. If you had to pick one word to describe yourself, what would it be and why? Uh, energetic. I would say uh, I've learned how to control my energy more in the past few years, but I, I've been told that I like uh, that I'm usually highly energetic and I come in like a force. So there's a lot of energy that comes with me, and uh, you know I have a lot of people who call me an energy but energizer bunny. Can't stop. Um, I do a lot of crazy things. So I have great sleep though. I need to sleep well to recharge, but then by <laughs> five in the morning I'm at it again. So there you go. Nice. Um, so actually that you just answered my next question. What's keeping you up at night these days? You are like reading my mind. I know. That's great. Um, so nothing really keeps you up? Funny thing is since I read that book, I've been reading that book that I recommended. Um, it's taught me just a lot about being able to not overthink things and let go. And so I sleep like nothing really keeps me up at night because one of the other things you start to realize is that there's only one thing that's completely inevitable in life, which is, or two, it's just change and death, right? So you never know. You could step out tomorrow and then life could be gone. So there's no point in worrying. What's your favorite place in the world? Well, that's a great question. Um, I love Berlin. <laughs> so random. I love yeah, Berlin. Is random. <laughs> um, before, I think in my, in my late teens, I'd spent some time there. And then I actually studied German in university and so I spent a lot of time going to Germany and there's just something really amazing about that city from an energy perspective and from a clash of old and old and new uh, traditional and modern so it's a great place culturally to visit and it's amazing from an art and uh and a cultural and like a and like a, um, what do you call it? the energy and the and just like everything you want to know historically about a place like that I think it's great to be able to live in have you been to a lot of countries in Europe yeah, I've been, uh, I've lived in Holland, I've lived in Germany, I've spent some time in London and in France. Um, I've, you know, gone to many different parts of the world. I've lived in Asia, I've lived in most parts of Canada, I've been to Saskatoon, I know. <laughs> You're a world traveler. Yeah, Saskatoon too, eh? my sister's living there. So. Oh, is she? Yeah, in Saskatchewan. What are three non-negotiables that have to happen in your morning or your evening routine? And you kind of answered this already. 
even if you want to switch to your evening routine since you did your morning routine already? Sure. I'll do my evening routine. My evening routine is I need to be away from my devices. Like I need to be reading something before I go to sleep. Just helps me decompress. The other piece is uh, for someone who owns a beauty tech startup, I am also obsessed with skincare. I have almost like, I'm kind of crazy like this. I have like a 20 step, almost like face cleansing ritual that I need to do at night. And I need to mask multiple times a week. And I have parties with girlfriends where they come over and we literally spend a whole evening like masking and doing our faces. If you're ever in <laughs> Toronto, let me know, Leslie. I would. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do the same thing with my one girlfriend. So I love, like totally, totally about that. <laughs> There you go. And so, and then sometimes, you know, we combine it with uh, a little bit of wine or a little bit of weed and you're on your way. So it's great for relaxation, but I would say like skincare is something that is really, really, um, I'm really, really passionate about. So I'm crazy, a little bit crazy about that. Um, and then I would say the last thing is I need to have magnesium. <laughs> yeah, so do I. I think it just helps you have a deeper sleep or a more, um, I know it helps your body. Yeah, it helps your body create melatonin naturally. So it's a it's self metal, and it helps you just create that. So I think it's really important. But uh, as important as my morning is, my sleep is I would say one of the most important things to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mine is too. Unfortunately, I have two kids keeping me up at night sometimes too. <laughs> I take melatonin as well, and it's just it's been like night and day. Yeah, no pun intended yeah. out there, but it's been very helpful. I want to ask you, and this is outside of the rapid fire questions, but what's the greatest challenge that you've ever faced in your business so far? Oh, that's a great question. The greatest challenge I've ever faced in my business was finding the right individuals to help me build the business. I think as an entrepreneur and as a founder, we forget that we often forget that you can't do everything alone and that you're always just looking for funding to be able to hire the right people. I think in today's world and in our generation, people are motivated by many different things. And so being able to understand that you can find talent who are who's willing to give you time, who's willing to give you energy essentially when they believe in what you're building and want to work with you is really, really important. So that's one of the biggest challenges that I've found. And I would say I'd like to say I've, I've tried to conquer over the past few years because I think, again, having the right team is better than having the right individual. When you're faced with unexpected challenges, how do you typically handle them? So when I'm faced with unexpected challenges, what I usually do is I take a deep breath and I tell myself that there's usually several solutions that either I can't see right now or um, there's definitely some way to solve this problem. So I think that like understanding that, how do I say this? The understanding that there's nothing in the world that is completely unsolvable is something that I think I've always just grown up with. And um, I think having a really strong family structure that was very much so that you can do anything, but at the same time you can solve anything is really important. Whether or not you have the solution right away or you have the solution uh, weeks from now, or you might have the not the best or most optimal solution immediately, I think just understanding that you can always slice it in so many different ways is really, really important because then at least you have the understanding and the confidence to say, okay, like I might not be taking the right step in the right direction, but I'm taking a step. Because I think, you know, especially if you wanted to start a business, one of the biggest challenges for people who want to start a business is the execution. 
right? You have this idea. I have this idea. The idea itself is great, but it's actually not as meaningful as you give it as much weight as you should. It's actually always about whether or not you're paralyzed by what you have to do. And I think one of the things we forget is that when you knock off to do things, to do things on your, uh, on your, uh, for tasks on your to-do list, it's essentially the way you should be approaching starting anything, right? Because once you know what the tasks are and the steps are, you just knock them out. And I think that that ability to be able to recognize that there's always going to be someone who has a better idea. There's always going to be someone who's more qualified, but it's really just about not looking at what they're doing, swimming in your own lane, and then just taking a step at a time because that one step forward is better than standing there. So on that, I'm going to ask you, what, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur looking to start a business in Toronto? Um, I, would, I would say there's a few things. One is don't be afraid to share your idea. So I had a friend who's also another founder, and he's actually been doing really well with his business for the past few years. He said this to me when I first started Retreat, which was, don't be afraid to share your idea because your idea is nothing without the execution. The other part of it is that the more you share your idea, the more you're actually opening it up to be questioned and to beat up, to be beat up or to essentially get put through the ringer uh, for free, which is also really important. And so I think one of the things to realize is that if you, if you know that the idea is just the idea, you should be offering it up and you should be just talking to people about it because someone will always have a different perspective and being open to that idea itself really gives your idea potentially more credibility. So how would you handle it if somebody gave you really negative feedback on your idea that, that you loved, that you wanted to run with? I think actually the funny thing is, you know, again, I think understanding good and bad is really relative to people. Um, I think one of the things you realize is sometimes someone gives you advice or guidance or, or feedback, and it may not be perfect or it's not what you want to hear, but at least it's something, right? The opposite of someone not caring really is to not give you any feedback and is indifference. And so I would rather have someone, you know, spit on my idea than not give me their perspective at all. If you really are passionate about your idea, you'll be able to justify it to them and to yourself. I have a girlfriend who always says this, which is the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference, right? So if someone is indifferent to your idea, then, oh God, this is a bad idea. But if someone even hates your idea, then there's something in there that must have triggered them to make them feel that way. That's interesting. Okay, now I'm going to ask you the last question. And uh, this is something that we ask all of our guests on Canada's podcast. You may have heard it before. It's, uh, there's a small tropical island off the coast of Bora Bora in the middle of the ocean and only one phone booth and no internet. We drop you off there with no technology at all. Um, at any time you can use the phone and the phone booth on the island and call a boat to come pick you up. How long would you last and what would you do until that time? I would last, I don't know how long I would last, but I would try to last for as long as possible. I believe in being alone. I believe in really being able to be with yourself because we're so surrounded with technology today that the idea sometimes of being by yourself without anything and with your own thoughts is scary. So I, I would, I would probably approach it like it's like some sort of opposite survival reality show where I'm supposed to stay there and stay still. Um, and I would, I would hopefully do my best to try to stay there for as long as possible. Yeah, it's almost like a personal challenge to, to keep mm -hmm. Awesome. Your perspective on that question, um, if you listen to some of the other interviews, it's like night and day your answer, so. Really? 
Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, do you have anything else that you want to share with our listeners before before we sign off? Uh, no, I would just say, you know, take a look at our stuff, check it out, and reach out if you or anyone you know ever want to talk about ideas or want to start a cool project. Yeah, so where can we find you online? So I am probably most present on LinkedIn. Uh, just because I feel like um, from a professional perspective, that's where I like to post things. And that's probably where I, where I talk to people the most. Awesome. So we'll find you there. Um, thank you very much for coming on Canada's podcast. It was so much fun. Thank you. you today, Janice. Yeah, it was nice getting to, uh, getting to know you too, Leslie. Thanks for listening to Canada's podcast. Like, comment, and subscribe to all our channels to get the latest podcasts from entrepreneurs across Canada.